Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm your host, Claire Navarro. A few questions to get us started for today's episode. Do you identify with a certain religion? Perhaps you grew up going to church within a certain faith tradition, or maybe you switched religious affiliations later in life. Or perhaps, like a growing number of Americans, you consider yourself totally non-religious. So far in our ongoing series on American identities, we've heard experts explore the ways in which race, gender, art, music, and history all contribute to personal and national understandings of selfhood. Today, we turn to the idea of religious identity with Professor Lee Schmidt. He talks about some of the themes and stories in his book, Restless Souls, The Making of American Spirituality. A bit later, we'll be hearing about religion in the US today, especially the trend toward Americans labeling themselves as spiritual, but not religious. However, to give some context, Schmidt first turns our attention to a small religious community founded in the 1800s. So one of the things I was interested in uh, when I was working on the book on American spirituality called Restless Souls was this community that was founded in Maine in the late 19th century, the last decade of the 19th century, called Green Acre. It was inspired by the World's Parliament of Religions, which had been this grand event in Chicago in 1893. This World's Parliament of Religions was a three-week spectacle with religious representatives from all over the world, and the many speakers inspired a woman named Sarah Farmer to take the idea of a religious parliament even further. She thought she could institutionalize this vision of religious pluralism. She could take it from a three-week parliament and turn it into an ongoing summer community. And she did that. For years, hundreds of religious seekers came to Greenacre to hear about and experience religious traditions and practices from around the globe. However, conflict was brewing. And then the debate emerged because she herself got interested in one revelation above other revelations, which is not what was supposed to happen. Wait a second. In a community devoted to religious exploration, why would it be wrong for Sarah Farmer to be drawn to one specific faith? As it turns out, for many people at Greenacre, searching and finding were not compatible ideals. The point here is to just keep searching and inquiring and remain open about one's religious identity. And she ultimately decided, no, I found one of these identities I actually want to take on. And that was the Baha'i faith. Um, and she became Baha'i. And uh, this eventually tore the community apart. It also proved a huge strain on Farmer's mental well-being. She ended up being placed in a sanitarium, with her community fighting viciously about the fate of Greenacre and whether or not she was insane or religiously inspired. However, in this somewhat tragic end, Schmidt sees more than a dramatic historical episode. It crystallized this dilemma about religious identity. And the dilemma was this. Is a religious identity something that we inherit or something that we achieve for ourselves? So is the point, if one is born Jewish or born Protestant, that, the, that one should, should stick with it? Or is the point that uh, religious identity is much more fluid than that? It's something that one goes out and achieves for oneself. 
and finds for oneself. Overall, Greenacre was clearly on the side of the seeking and the questing in this debate. But Schmidt believes it also revealed the limits of the notion that religious identity is totally fluid. After all, Farmer herself and many other members of Greenacre ended up submitting to a specific religious tradition. But what about those who continued to define themselves as seekers? I mean, there are people who persist in their questioning, or at least they think they do. You know, someone like Horatio Dresser, who is active at Greenacre, you know, when Sarah Farmer decides that there's one way or there's at least one way that is particularly illuminating and that people should study it in particular, he resists that. Dresser thought of himself as embodying the true values of Greenacre. After all, he was totally open-minded and unsettled in terms of his religious identity. Or was he? You could take a, another look at his life and say, well, he is kind of settled, actually. <laughs> you know, in his own way, he's settled into a, a certain kind of American metaphysics around, um, you know, mind over matter and certain new thought traditions where you put a lot of in- emphasis on concentration and self-improvement and meditative attention. There's certain things that he does. He believes it's open and fluid, but he's putting together a rather distinct religious identity of his own. So maybe Dresser didn't label himself as Baha'i or Muslim or Methodist, but some form of religious identity was still at work. And he's not alone in this. It doesn't take a lot to see that the people who are claiming to have no identity, no religious identity, have something of an identity, actually, that we could start clarifying and and filling in uh, the outlines of, I think. And that when we don't recognize it that way, it's because we're buying into their own rhetoric. We actually believe them. You know, we come to believe they don't have a religion. They really are on the open road. They, it's completely fluid and, and, and unbounded and creedless. And, and then you think, well, maybe we should look again. This may be starting to sound familiar. In many communities, especially among younger people, there is a growing trend to label oneself as spiritual but not religious. So are these people somehow related to the 19th century seekers at Greenacre? I do think that the folks who call themselves spiritual but not religious are the descendants of folks like Sarah Farmer and, uh, you know, the Whitmanites of the 19th century, that, they've, that they have, unbeknownst to themselves, inherited a certain language, a certain way of describing uh, their religious identity or what appeals to them about, about religion or what, what they find unappealing about religion. This is not entirely a story of continuity. Of course, there are many influences and changes that occur over time. But overall, this sort of open-ended approach to religion is still very much a part of American culture, more and more so every year. Now, as far as, you know, the uh, spiritual but not religious and then on over to the folks who have no religious identity whatsoever and um, see themselves as agnostics or even atheists, I mean, this this is a demographic that's growing. You know, all the, the polling data on that is, is, is coming up with a sense that we've had a dramatic growth in the number of people who are willing to say they don't have any religious identity whatsoever. That's um, gone from, um, you know, under 10 percent to close to 20 percent in the last 18 years. This doesn't mean that in previous decades every single American was a regular churchgoer. It's just in previous decades, the trend was that even if people didn't really practice a particular religion, 
they would self-identify with whatever religion their parents or grandparents practiced. In more recent years, people don't feel the need to reach back in that way. So then the question is, well, what is that saying about religious identity? Are these people really unbelievers who are intellectually, familially, emotionally disengaged from religion and likely to stay that way? Or is this a cohort where there are more of the people who have an underlying seeking sensibility still, right, and might well come back around? Schmidt believes there's probably truth to both of these theories. More people are deeply comfortable with having no religious affiliation whatsoever, and more people are also active religious seekers. It's impossible to tell how the trends will swing in the future. But Schmidt notes that even with this secular trend, the idea of religion is still a powerful part of American identity as a whole. We're still a very religious culture, uh, that's for sure. So, um, you know, people who now say, oh, we're becoming like Sweden, I mean, they're getting ahead of themselves. For some context here, when a 2008 Gallup poll asked citizens in many European countries, does religion occupy an important place in your life? Sweden was one of the top two responders. 83% of Swedes said no. And many other European countries weren't far behind. So yeah, that's always the comparison point. You know, kind of religious America, secular Europe. On the ground, how people relate to religion is of course more complicated than a poll can determine. But according to Schmidt, the overall juxtaposition works in many ways. You know, certainly it works at the level of comparative self-perception. There seems to be great stake on both sides of, uh, in this sense that we Americans are religious and those Europeans aren't. And conversely, on the part of many Europeans that think, God, those Americans are really weirdly religious. Why aren't they secular like us? It works that way at, at the level of, of identity making in terms of Europeans and Americans. In some ways, this makes sense, right? After all, the first line of the First Amendment guarantees religious freedom. And as a nation of immigrants, the U.S. encompasses a huge range of religious diversity. But according to Schmidt, thinking of the U.S. as a place of ever-expanding religious liberty, as past generations of historians did, is far from accurate. From violent conflict between Catholics and Protestants to ongoing discrimination against Muslim Americans, the Greenacre ideal of religious tolerance has been at best an inconsistent part of American history. You know, so on the one hand, I think there have been, you know, real milestones in, in working out those issues along the way moments of real clarification about the rights of religious minorities. And I think it's a, still a deeply unsettled question, and the issues keep coming back around and continue to need to be worked on. To wrap up today's episode, we return to Sarah Farmer. I asked Schmidt to explain what draws him to study people like Farmer and places like Greenacre. I like stories with tension, and her story had a lot of tension in it. I mean, I, I felt uh, that sense. I mean, uh, she herself is so torn about what to do about this question of, of, of religious affiliation. I mean, she herself, she grows up uh, a Protestant, a Congregationalist, still obviously has strong Protestant Christian sensibility. It, it doesn't go away ever. I mean, a lot of I mean, the things that just return to her when she's thinking about prayer or scripture are deeply, I mean, Christian. And yet she, she, then she wanders into this world of so much more complexity. I try to look for those moments, these stories, where 
you can see much deeper issues revealed in them so that the story itself becomes a way getting at those underlying struggles and revealing them for people so they can kind of see like okay this is what that's like you know we have this big philosophical problem about the shape of religious identity in the modern world whether it's fixed or porous how porous can it be and then you see it played out in one life Many thanks to Lee Schmidt for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to his faculty profile on Hold That Thought's website. We're at thought.artsci.wustl.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustl.edu. This is part of an ongoing series on American identities, so please go to the website to check out past episodes. And of course, to keep up with the latest news and episodes, follow Hold That Thought on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.